off the ball. That was serious. He was furious. He wanted his net. Just won the World Cup. And you won't let me clip a little panel of net. Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB Sports app. Off the ball. This is News Talk. Yeah, you're very welcome back this evening. David Goggins, the motivational endurance athlete and best-selling author, is coming to Dublin for the first time on the 17th of February 2023. Tickets can be picked up now at inextremist.ie. Each night this week, we're giving away two tickets to see him live in the convention centre in Dublin. One lucky prize winner will also win two platinum tickets, which includes a signed copy of David Goggins' book and a meet and greet photo. To enter, follow at inextremist.ie. That's uh, on Twitter. And like and share the social posts on our channels. Don't miss your chance to hear firsthand from his book, Never Finished, Unshackle Your Mind and Win the War Within. Tickets are available on inextremis.ie. That's I-N-X-T-R-E-M-I-S dot I-E. Now, as we know, Tag Farlong is going to captain Ireland for the first time tomorrow when they take on Fiji at the Aviva in the second game of their Autumn International Series. It opened with a 1916 win against the world champion South Africa last week, where tomorrow's starting fullback Jimmy O'Brien impressed when brought off the bench. Stuart McCluskey was a late replacement for the injured Robbie Henshaw last Saturday and former Ireland captain Brian O'Driscoll says the Ulster Centre showed what he can offer in the Irish midfield. I wouldn't say I've been a critic of Stuart McCluskey. I thought that um, obviously provincially and, and European-wise, very, very nice player, very effective for Ulster. But in his previous caps, in big games for Ireland, I thought he'd looked one-dimensional. I think there's an extra aspect to his ball carrying in, in particular as he gets a little bit older. I think he's becoming an even better ball carrier. And there was one instance early on um, where Creel made that massive collision on, I'm going to say Hugo Keenan, he popped it out um, and, and uh, McCluskey's last man. What he did thereafter, he beats five tacklers, but an ability to allow his support to get with him. Whereas if he gets chopped there, you know, there's no one home, mm. and you get turned over. It's it's all over. Hugo's just been tackled, so his ability to be able to ride four or five tackles and then place the ball back and allow yourself to get back in the game, get back in the point, was really excellent. He they have nine tackles in in the time that he was on. That is, you know, a massive work rate. The one where Sexton got done for the high tackle on DLN day which is, is pretty harsh when someone leads in with their head maybe they played into his hand because Johnny t- tackles high you lead with your head where is he going to hit other than around your head but I thought it was really clever from McCluskey locked between his legs and didn't allow him get a knee to the ground so there's just small aspects to McCluskey's game that I thought were very very impressive mm. um, defensively really good work together with, with Gary Ringrose and Johnny um, and it's a real pity for him that he didn't get a, a better run um, at it because what I saw I really liked well thankfully he's still in the squad for the Fiji game it's not as serious as it first looked so that's also su- brilliant and a nightmare all in the one <laughs> like at, at training this week if you, if you haven't gone and broken your arm and you've gone off in a test match you're <laughs> going to get absolute dogs abuse from your teammates the Lazarus calls all week when he comes out to training <laughs> today <laughs> you're, ne- you're nearly praying for, for something more serious not not really but no it is great news that, he's, that he might be in contention um, so we might get a look at him again and then quite the 48 hours in Jimmy O'Brien's life yeah like and to go in at centre too like you can't have imagined that he obviously was covering it but um, but not really but not really yeah. and to know all the plays and know the lines and um, obviously they've been in camp and I'm sure they were probably running 
very similar patterns as a backline um, launch plays um, in, in both the mm-hmm. the A game and the and um, the South African game, uh, albeit slightly different defensive systems. I, I don't I don't know. I didn't get I didn't get a chance to see the um, the A game, uh, unfortunately. Um, but for him to come in and equip himself that well defensively, very good, made some. You know, held on to the ball once or twice when he could have thrown 50-50. Just really clever, good, strategic play and a great debut. Yeah, um, it does feel like once Ringrose is in there, he's this like Rolls Royce intelligence. Uh, even when he's not catching the eye, he's kind of catching the eye. Like he had a, he had a really really yeah. good game. He and put and a listen, foot wrong. there'll always be a couple of numbers beside him of missed tackles and people, but but it's what you can't put into context there is what his body position has looked like to stop the ball getting outside him and yeah. but yet he doesn't get a full shot on someone but yet there's not line breaks that come from it it's you know you, you can't just you know keep, look at them in its entirety on pure stats you have to understand it with a view to what the game does um or what what the individual does to stop a greater threat out yeah. wide, and and he does that. He's always been that guy who's had a had a few misses, but it's there's more to it than meets the eye. I, I the, the the venomous nature of his hits, I think, has improved. Times them well, and yeah, I think his timing yeah. is excellent. He he's he's a big enough guy, you know, and and he's obviously 27, 28 now, so he's filled out he's in the peak of his powers. But he's really, guys f- feel as though there's a nasty ed- nastier edge to him now, I think, and a mm. real physicality that maybe he didn't possess previously or he didn't get credit for. And he, I thought he was he was excellent. Besides his ball carrying, I thought just his defensive work of making big hits. It, it, it's almost a bit, I was watching over in, in Hong Kong on the scramble, um, Fiji are different than everyone else. On scramble defence, looks as though they're right to be broken and then they come in and end someone in, in a scramble tackle. And he has a little bit of that where it looks as though he's out of play or he's going to get exposed. And all of a sudden, it's not just a scrag and dragging someone down, but actually a forceful hit mm. that makes a big difference to the knock-on effect of how that rook is recycled and, and what that ball player is able to do from a speed of presentation point of view. How did Robert Balakun do? Yeah, like I, I felt for him a small bit because some of the bread and butter stuff didn't quite... Pl- play out like you know you Etzebeth did really well once in the air um, where you know he, he was catching a ball more so it was positive from Etzebeth's point of view rather than a drop pass um, like the thing is I'm a, I'm a really big Robert Balakun fan and I think what you've got there from a potential point of view is significant I guess it just wasn't necessarily his game he did some great stuff mm. he had some lovely touches of course like all nearly all players you've one or two mistakes but it must have been a tiny bit frustrating that he just didn't quite get the um the ball in space that we know he's capable of but he's a very very good defender mm. um i think one of you know one of the better defending wingers around even when he doesn't read it perfectly his speed and ability yeah. to get back in 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 the game like there was one that was a little chipped through and he actually played quite high because Ireland wingers do play quite high. But I, I watched him and the nudge in behind and, and Keenan was exposed in the backfield. But his ability to be able to turn and accelerate and get back to the ball before before McPimpy, I think it was on, on his side, who was, you know, accelerating and knew this was coming. Like it was it was top yeah. class. So I, I think 
we've got to give him more time because he could yeah. definitely be a starter for you. I can tell you've only watched the game back once. Your recall is a disgrace here. Today. <laughs> I just, it's shocking. I, I have I have made a <laughs> I've made a couple of Dude. of notes, but Do you want to give us the minute by minute? It's like, <laughs> come on! I'd hate to see if you watched it twice. Um, Ian Henderson's back in the squad. Mm. So how does that Irish pack look? Um, you get taken out. I, like like Treadwell's always done well when he's come on. Um, it hasn't felt as the second row has been diminished anyway, but I, I do think that Henderson is getting in the 23 ahead of Kieran Treadwell. And is he in the 15? No, he's not. I don't think so. I think now Henderson is at the moment on on the bench. Um, he's one of those guys that it's always going to be a close call um, as to starting on the bench. Um, feels like on the back of the performance that James Ryan remains number one. Some people down in Munster will disagree with me around Tyg Byrne, who had a good game, but maybe not to his poaching best yes, or, yeah, yeah. you know, big moment um, performance that were... That like New Zealand was yeah, outrageous. That, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, where Henderson obviously brings a slightly different aspect to his game. He's more confrontational, more physical. Um, whereas Byrne has, yeah, these these kind of cameo, not cameo moments, they had big moments that have a major impact on the overall flow of a game. Henderson's not really that sort of guy, but he's he's a grafter, he's a work rate guy. Um, so it's, it's a nice headache to have, but I do feel as though for now the partnership looks like Ryan and and Tyke Byrne. I did think James Ryan was excellent. Um, at the weekend as well really good square carries for a guy who's perceived to be on the lighter side of second rows I think a bit a bit akin to Josh van der Fleer his angles of running now mm. and intellect around his carry has gotten really good There's so much square and he's catching guys on inside shoulder and he's making um a different sort of extra yard or two before it was like head down and barreling guys I think there's a cl- slightly greater cleverness to his um, his running and his and his carrying game, which will also, in the long term, benefit him as well. I thought yes. the way he was playing the game three four years ago and the hard yards he was trying to eke out was it felt like it was going to be a seven year career rather than a you know a twelve thirteen fourteen year career. Oh, interesting. So uh, that more sustainable way of playing and, just in the last year, but also you know v- having the variety of yeah. of and the and the and the same shape on your carry, but the different pops in, yeah. out, pass out the back. Um, and when have you started to notice that? I, I like that. Was I think it was quite en- uh, quite quite noticeable this weekend. I think it's probably subconsciously it's been there for the last few games. Okay. And when he's you know his form has started to to really pick back up again, he probably had a bit of a lull period for a year after that incredible start to his yeah. his career. Um, a, a bit like Skulk Berger when he came back. Um, he had you know an extended period of time out, and he you know we associate with Skull Berger back in the noughties this blonde um, mop running, charging like a rugby league player, yeah. and trying to create holes. And then all of a sudden he became a ball player. And that what happens is when you become the ball player, the holes, the soft shoulders open up a little bit more, and the 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 hard yards are a bit easier to come by. So it, it kind of feels as though James Ryan is thinking his way around that a little bit more too. I'm very happy for McCluskey to be getting another chance. You know. Uh, he was there was one barreling run that he made that kind of looked like Ralph Reckham this was when he kind of saved the day a little bit as well because we were under pressure it was was the second time I think there was a good tackle later on Uh, it was like a very short cameo 
devastated to think that he'd like broken a collarbone or broken an arm or something. And then oh, back seven days later, he looks. Uh, it's funny we've been talking about him a little bit this season over the course of the year. There was a game, Ulster game against one of the South African teams. Can't remember which one where he stood out a mile and just looks like. And I, I was thinking like you know he looks like a different player. And Brian was you know talking about it. I'm not sure it was in that clip exactly, but he was saying like that that he thought he was probably a little bit too one dimensional for international rugby and that that has evolved and changed and again it's quite late in his career for that but oh, yeah. we've always known young, young McCluskey the promising young that's player it, yeah, yeah, yeah he's always that young promising player but for him to add to that game because he was already on the verge of good enough anyway so like he's a real option there now and oh, we'll yeah. see him we'll see him, well, we need him. Week, but we've got yeah. like Bundiaki Henshaw Ringrose you know they've had that lockdown. Two goes into three for a long, yeah. or three goes into whatever it is for a long, long time. If you add a fourth to that, that's I think the there's type of competition be. we could do with this year, this twelve months leading into the yeah. World Cup. Like, I do know. think there are games. I'd love to see Ringrose play a couple of games on the wing just to make sure that we know that he can do it at this level, and let's see what happens if he was to play there. You'd say, say we get to a World Cup quarterfinal and everybody's injured. The back three are all like lying there. In, uh, in casualty and it's like Ringrose you've never played there before but I think we could do it Well especially when Ireland are so comfortable in their centre combinations because the amount of time that Aki and Henshaw and Henshaw and Ringrose have played exactly. together yeah. um, they're well set in midfield anyway that was part of Stuart McCloskey's frustration a few years ago when he only had a handful of caps despite yeah. being in Ireland caps all the time yeah. he was actually not getting in ahead of those and it was a difficult um, task for him when he was probably fourth or fifth in the depth chart at the time and now genuinely I think he's probably next best after those three Speaking of uh, rising young players who is older Stuart McCluskey or Jesse Lingard? <sighs> Lingard maybe a little bit older well, Lingard's what 29? I'd, I'd, say, I'd say Lingard's older is he? Lingard is younger oh, okay. six months younger Can I just say that though on the point of McCluskey there like, it's like what, what makes what makes it's certain that Ireland don't get stale over the next twelve months. The thing that we're worried most about is like it's like it's Jimmy O'Brien coming in to you know to it's it's Casey developing Jimmy O'Brien developing McCluskey offering a real option there at centre and you know you have one in each position all the way around like you know you know Finley Bealham continues this form and maybe we can take off Tyke Furlong after fifty five minutes instead of seventy yeah you know like that's how we make sure that we are. Raring to go, come the World Cup, as opposed to hanging on to the form, yeah. which we did obviously in 2019. Is it too late for Tyke Farlong to have his six months off in the style of New Zealand? Is it like, is it too late? Should we have done it last year? Like, give him six months off. Let's make sure his body is fine for the World Cup. He's had a few kind of breaks, hasn't he? You know, little sort of here and there injuries. I mean, like, was was last week his first game of the season or one of them anyway? I don't think yeah. I, he certainly hasn't last year. He had a series of niggles last year which gave him probably an enforced break which he probably didn't expect to have. Remember, he's playing for his new contract at the moment too, is on. Uh, I'd say I think they're going to pay him. Yeah, well, no problem, but he's <laughs> probably the amount of zeros that go on there. Uh, we've decided to let you go. <laughs> um, yeah. When we come back, Eric Donovan explains why he's decided to retire as European boxing champion. Carlsberg 00 is the official alcohol-free beer partner of the men's and women's Republic of Ireland senior football teams. We've created a brand new content series looking at the increasingly diverse backgrounds of the current Republic of Ireland international squads, focusing on their formative years and the main influences in their careers. This series coming very soon. You're going to be able to catch it across our social and digital channels. So get over to YouTube and make sure you are subscribed. But to launch, to celebrate rather, the launch of the series... To celebrate the launch of the series, we have two pairs of tickets and four signed jerseys to give away for Ireland against Norway on the 17th of November, thanks to Carlsberg 00. For your chance to win, identify tonight's mystery voice. 
who was asked what he thought of the windswept presenter of Virgin's Munster vs South Africa A coverage last night. I don't know. I don't know his name because when I see him, I, I switch off the television. <laughs> to enter, text in your answer, his name and your name, and send that message to 53106. Carlsberg 00, the best tasting 00 beer in the world? Probably. Always drink responsibly. Get the facts. Be drink aware. Visit drinkaware.ie. Now, Shelburne have the chance to complete an FAI Cup double when their men's team take on Derry in Sunday's decider at the Aviva. Their women's team added the Cup to their National Women's League title last Sunday with a 2-0 win against Athlone at Tallah Stadium before a record crowd for the Women's Cup final. Emma Byrne, Karen Dogan and Kathleen McNamee agreed on the Koi Gig pod that Noel Kingside were worthy winners against the Midlanders. But they all think Athlone will be contenders again next season. Fair result in that Shelburne are a more clinical team. Um, I thought Athlone outperformed them in the second half but they kept a clean sheet and they were kind of professional I think the early goal was a real killer for Athlone I think if Athlone had stayed in the game until half time I think it was just too big of a hill for them to climb in the second half um, but they gave a really really good account of themselves and Shelburne just did enough um, they've had a really long season and to do the double is no mean feat so uh, it, it's understandable that their performance levels maybe weren't as good as we were expecting but like I said professional job done um, and that was kind of just the difference between them they just managed the game a little bit better yeah I thought if Athlone had more options in attack and if they were able I suppose that goal as well that was disallowed somewhat controversially it would have been interesting to see what would have happened to the game had that been allowed Emma did you catch it I, I caught the highlights I mean you're we trying to catch up in like 10 games but I caught the highlights and I read the reports um, it just it's a shame really talking about goals conceded and mistakes which happened yeah. over the weekend quite a lot but um, also some decisions were a little bit dubious very um, dubious I would say I mean free kick for the first goal yeah not a free kick. that wasn't a free kick it, it was wasn't a free kick and then you're talking about a potential onside and it, they're the fine margins you know yeah um, but it is a pity to be talking about that and be talking about a goalkeeping error like you say yeah I mean for me too goalkeeping errors well, we have to talk about how they set up they were on the six yard box that's exactly what I was thinking I was looking and the free kick is like a good what 30 35 yards yeah, out and Athlone set up and they set up initially all right just inside their box and then they just kept dropping off dropping off and by the time the free kick was taken they were literally on the six yard box making it impossible for Coombs to come out and and control that area so that was the first mistake um but yeah a lot little little mistakes and it's a yeah. shame really because Athlone were actually really good they're very impressive it's actually the first time I've seen them play so quite impressed with them yeah I think if Athlone keep that group together they'll continue to grow as a team because you know other teams are going to say the Dublin teams I think there'll be a bit of movement around there as there always is particularly with Rovers coming into the league yeah we were talking about you last week Karen you're, were your ears burning <laughs> no, we weren't <laughs> I mean, it wasn't the first thing you did whenever the podcast dropped on Tuesday morning is listen in and see all the wonderful things we said about you. <laughs> no, not quite now, girls. No, I said I'd leave you, leave you at it for one week. I think you did a great job. I'm going to pretend you did a great job anyway. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, we won't put you on the spot. We'll we'll move on. Move on from that point. Move on. Move on. What quickly. is the likelihood of Athlone being able to keep that team together? Because obviously when a team performs that well, over a season, other people are going to come look at them. 
if players want to go to Dublin, whether it's for work or college or something, and other bigger teams come calling, it must be tempting enough to move away. Even some of the bigger teams out west. I think they're lucky in that they're they have a lot of girls who are kind of Midlands based, and they're kind of good centre point for people. I genuinely think it all depends on what Rovers can offer. I mean, they're going to come in with big, they're going to come in with contracts and professionalism and all the rest of it, which is great to see, but is also quite threatening for, for teams like P-Mount who don't have that same backing. But Athlone have a pretty good backing. They're, they're an unbelievable fan base there yesterday. So I think it would take a lot to move girls away from them after that season. Like they'll feel really confident and really happy with how they performed. And I think it won't be this year that I'd see people leaving. I think they'd like to see if they can progress and continue to break into the, the top three spots, we'll, we'll say. That was a bit of this week's Koi Gig podcast. The whole thing is, of course, available now wherever you listen to your podcast. The Koi Gig pod on OTB Sports is in association with Cadbury FC, official snack partner to the Republic of Ireland women's national team. Now, Eric Donovan has said that he feels like it's the right time to bring the curtain down on his boxing career. The Athiman filled a lifetime dream by becoming the EU super featherweight champion last month in what proved to be his final bout. Eric told myself and Shane on OTB AM this week that tackling his inner demons and addiction issues helped turn around his life inside and outside the ring. You just get to a stage where you become overwhelmed by it, like that there is no, it's like a boiling pot, you know, the lid just ready to burst, you know, and that's what I was like, you know, I used to suppress an awful lot of emotions and feelings and um, you think you're doing the right thing, but, you know, you can't solve a problem by running away from a problem. The problem is not going to go away, you know, but I realised that today, but I used to suppress everything and then, they they would come out in a very unhealthy and toxic way, whether it's through drink or drugs or whatever, and it'd be just kind of, you know, an explosion, a big episode, and then it'd be, again, try and regroup, regroup, and then another big explosion. But I realised, like, when I got to a certain stage in life that, you know, these emotions, these feelings, these... these um, the energy inside, these are very much a part of my being in every way, like, you know, and I cannot run away from them anymore and I can't ignore them. This wasn't connected to success or failure in boxing. This is like just real life, right? Real life, yeah. It's, human it's life, separate. Yeah. It's, uh, boxing was kind of in some ways uh, a little bit of, uh, what would you say, uh, a bit of solace in all of this, you know what I mean? It was respite, you know. Sometimes yeah. when I went to boxing, I was free. I was free from the, the madness of my own mind and yeah. um, free from... Uh, the, you know the feelings the emotions and it just used to go into a boxing mode you know and then that kind of do you, do, do you, to a cover up to get to the point you are now do you have to go back and, and ask what caused the madness in your mind or or do you just have to learn to cope with the fact that there is a bit of madness in all of us yeah with, with <laughs> that's very true there is a bit of madness in us all a bit of good in, in the worst of us a bit of bad in the best of us as well do you know but I I I did have to, first of all, ad- take ownership. You know, that's the first thing. Like, you cannot solve a problem if you don't see it, if you don't think it's there, if you don't acknowledge it, you know. So I was in denial for a long, long time, you know, with a lot of stuff, you know, that I, I suppose I never really took full acceptance of what was going on for me. And I always blamed, in a way, I kind of directed it towards maybe different areas, you know, different things. It was because of this or because of that, you know, and... And then eventually, I, t- I had to say, look, it's, it's me, you know. There's a great, there's a famous quote from Marty Rubin, a Canadian uh, author. It says, uh, the truth is what's left when you run out of excuses, you know. And that's what it was for me. And I was kind of left with, 
my raw vulnerable self and then at that stage you're kind of like well which way do I go now do I jump off or do I ask for help and you know I asked I asked for help you know and, and that was the, the beginning of a whole new avenue for me a whole new life a, re, a redemption story are you allowing yourself a bit of nostalgia now, Eric? Like, are you thinking back in the last few days to walking into St. Michael's Boxing Club in Athai for the first time? Is it, yeah. Has it just even hit you yet? Like, it's probably like the, winning the European title. It probably takes a bit of time to realise that you're, you're retired and finished. Yeah, it's, no, it's really, really, um, it's incredible. And even when I think back to the Boxing Club in Athai, what that done for me, like, you know, that was a real game changer for me. It gave me direction. It gave me purpose. It gave me... You know, it was my education, really. You know, it got me out of town. I definitely wouldn't have left the Thai town if it wasn't for the club, you know, because, like I said, school wasn't uh, an area that I, I, I really, don't, you know, done well in. And, you know, a Thai is a working-class town. You know, education and sport are very important down there, you know, to, to really move out of it and, uh, and do well for yourself. So the boxing club, even though at times it became an annoyance for me too because I tried to run away from the club so many times because it was getting in the way of this... You know, the the life I want to live with the boys and the girls hanging around and dossing and messing and whatnot, but that's when the coach Dom would, would follow me around, you know. Would he literally come to your house? Yes, he would, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Pulled me out of a house party and everything before because, because I promised him I'd fight in a show, you know, and I went missing, you know, and he pulled me out of his house party, brought me to the boxing show. So I, I even still boxed, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I remember getting out of the ring. It was an open air show in Mullingar. And I, and I remember getting out of the ring and I fell asleep in my boots and all my gear at ringside afterwards. But uh, just, the, yeah, but like so grateful, like, and lucky that I had that kind of... Um, so I, I still think that I... I'm, I'm sorry to labour this point. You fixed something that most people don't get to fix, mm. right? And so I, 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 we're from the same town. I, yeah. I, I, kind of, I know what you're talking about. I know the corners that you would have been standing on. Yeah. And, and then I know the <clears throat> the school system didn't work properly mm. for you. Mm. And I like, how did you how did you survive that? Like, what? Yeah. Where's the bit where you 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 get the strength to ask for help, mm. or even know how to ask for help? Mm. That's a good one. You know, um, I suppose. Uh, you know, I heard someone say before, the crack is where the light gets in, you know what I mean? And sometimes, you know, I put up a f good fight for a very long time, you know, about like uh, trying to hold on to this way, you know, and trying not to, um, trying, trying to deflect, basically, mainly for, for most of my life. But I used to, I remember many times, a lot of tears, a lot of, a lot of really sad times, you know, especially sitting down with the family, like, you know, here I go again, how did this happen, and that kind of stuff. And Because you'd cause trouble. Yeah, but, but like, mainly the trouble would be just, like, my own really um, incompetence, like, just really uh, slipping up or messing up, and then I'd be devastated again, depressed, probably said something I didn't mean, probably did something I did, shouldn't have done, that kind of stuff. And then always, it always led to guilt, remorse, shame, embarrassment and you know whether it was internal or external it was all you know and it was just I became sick and tired of being sick and tired and I used to look at everybody else and think how are they doing it you know wanted to be like everybody else like normally like normally socialising normally having a drink going out coming home this kind of stuff and it just wouldn't work for me you know like I, I couldn't do it you know even like if I had one drink I'd be just like you know yeah. wired <laughs> like you know it had a different effect on me Um are we and still living in a tie at this stage? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and then, like, I didn't even realise, this is because you asked a very good question, I didn't even realise that there is support out there in the way that it was and the way that it is. Like, as 
like for me it was just a, a, a if you can't sort this out yourself you're screwed you know yeah. and that's why at one stage I actually felt that maybe I'd be better off not being here you know because I thought like you know I'm just a burden I'm you know I'm just letting people down let me coach down let my family down and maybe it's better off maybe I'm better off not being here like that's and how easy it is for that to happen oh my god like it's so like so very real very real and the other know? thing is that it's so common that like I don't know I'm, I'm in our class there were people who died by suicide and the town has been unfortunately plagued by it yeah so it's right there like yeah. the, there are examples of it and that's why I think it's important to labour on this because like it's possible mm. it's really possible and I, there's so much in this story you know like yeah um, there's a lot in it yeah and and again the boxing at the time was giving me the only kind of credibility and you know kind of respect that, that I felt that was valued in me you know because outside an identity an identity and outside of that like I used just felt like a nobody a waster you know and and that's that, a very that's, dangerous place to be that's how society views people yeah. who are from working class areas yeah. that we we decide yeah. as a country and yeah. as a people no there's no value here yeah and like yeah. i think it's it's a real it's a real difficult place for us it to is. be in you know, we, we talk about the footballers going across the water as well like you know the the sun you know promise you know the sun moon and stars you know and then it doesn't work out for them and after spending four or five years maybe you know development years you know over there and they're coming back, tail between their legs. What did they do? Feel like a waste, feel like a loser, you know. And that, for me, that's I had a kind of a very difficult relationship with boxing for a while with myself because I kind of then was angry with boxing because I felt like I'm only a boxer, you know. Yeah, yeah. And boxing would consume me to the level of like, you know, who, you know, d- didn't know much about values and that kind of stuff. And but when I asked for the help initially, Ger, it opened the door to a whole new avenues a whole new world I won't say it's easy because it doesn't happen overnight but like that was the beginning of the process you know I started to learn about addiction I started to learn about mental health emotional health I understood why we do the things we do you know why I kept doing the things I did you know Um, and then I learned more therapeutic and holistic approaches to the self-destructive ones I was using before and I was like, okay, this is a bit easier. This is a bit easier. This is a bit and then during that process, you start to discover what Eric is. Eric, the the man, the human being. Yeah. And I didn't care about boxing. And, but th- when I got back in touch with Eric and started to grow, uh, really grow and develop, that's when I opened the door to going back to fulfilling some unanswered boxing questions. So does this happen in your mid-twenties? Like after, so the boxing finishes as an amateur and you're bitter about that. Is there then that period of like mm. self-reflection or um, a despair and yeah. then the self-reflection comes after that? 2012 was the, the time I, I went into recovery for the first time and uh, after that, the summer of 2012, I helped Katie Taylor out for the Olympic Games, went to the training camp in, in Assisi. When that was over, I kind of didn't know what to do. Threw my, threw my name in the hat for the World Series of Boxing, see what would happen. I got called. I got picked by who? None other than Kazakhstan. So, And the difference of Kazakhstan and all the other franchises was they wanted you out there indefinitely. Like for the whole, There's no kind of train at home, go out and buy. So I went out there for like nearly eight months or something. Like, you know, and out there, I learned so much about myself, you know because 
that was in the early stages of my recovery and I had a lot of good support from back home people calling me ringing me doing Skype calls and all that but out there I really grew up like I really so you're sober developed, yeah yeah right. yeah and um, and uh, it was incredible and then when I got back from there I just I kind of retired from boxing unofficially went back into education so tw- I was 27 28 going on 27 going on 28 when I kind of unofficially retired and then I was 31 when I came back turned professional but during that three year period I did a lot of personal growth a lot of development and it was that's when I realised that maybe you know maybe I can do something here <laughs> and you know it's kind of crazy Derek Donovan speaking to us this week um one of the texts coming in was like, oh, I'm having a bad time at the moment. Listening to this has really cheered me up. And somebody else was like, oh, I really needed this. Like, you've worked with Eric. You did a podcast series with him last year. If anybody wants more Eric in their lives, they should go and subscribe to it. And um, I find it, like, hard to think of anybody who uh, makes you feel better in life. Yeah, like, remarkably frank and honest about his own life and his career and the redemptive story, which is... I guess mirrored by the way that his career finished up, which was taking a lot of punishment in that fight in Belfast. That round, yeah. Somehow managing to actually stick in it and then finishing strongly in the end. Um, very much a mirror of his own life. Taking a couple of years out from... Essentially, I remember when Eric Dunn was one of the most promising amateurs that we had in the country. And it seemed that everything was set up, particularly for him to go to the 2012 Olympics in London and to medal for Ireland at that time. And like he boxed remarkably well at European Championships at the start of the decade. And you think it's just there to go, coming into the prime of his career. Better bronze, I think, at that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and then, as you mentioned already, the inner demons catch up with Eric at that point. And he ends up taking time away from the ring before coming back as a professional afterwards. And during that time he was away, he goes off and re-skills. Um, he, by his own admission, said he found things a little bit tricky in school along the way. Maybe he wasn't naturally inclined in that direction but yet went back, you know, learned about becoming a counsellor, wanted to help more people. And is now going around at this point, which is what I'm sure he's going to do, Ger, now that he's retired, is probably go around and tell his inspirational story to others to try and make a difference in their lives. I think there's so many doors that are going to open up for him now because he is such a good communicator. He could well do media work. He could very well, you know, go into potentially training at a high level. I think the IABA should definitely be looking at him as someone to come in as potentially a high performance director because there is that absence within the IABA right now. I would think that Eric would be wonderful at passing the skills on to the next generation as well. He was working with a football team in Leash, who uh, one of the intermediate or junior teams, was yeah, it as well? Yeah, he was, he was also doing a lot of the physical training with some of the teams in Kildare, and he was telling me that during the lockdown, he was doing it on Zoom, and one of the most enjoyable things of the last season just gone by was that he was actually physically able to get out and do bits and pieces with the clubs. Yeah. Um, his wife is heavily involved with Drogheda currently. They've just after bringing a new baby into the She's family. Also very recently. Yeah, yeah, so like, there's so many different strings to his bow at the moment. and High-performing sport. Sports family, yeah, entirely, yeah. But isn't he like, uh, isn't Eric Donovan the best of Irish sport when you think of it? You know, like he's got, he was this guy who was obviously supremely talented and brilliant, but you know, it didn't ultimately happen for various reasons. But then came back and like lived his dream and like finished with that. You know, what a way to finish your career as well, like he did. But also along the way, talks about it and talks about it openly and honestly, and not just by the way the bad things. The good, like, just brings us inside exactly what he's, what his life is, and what he's going through. And I just, I'd love there to be a few more Eric Donovans out there in various sports. I don't think there are though, because he is kind of one of a kind. But I think he's someone to be immensely proud of. You know, you kind of, we talk sometimes about the the highest of the high achievers, and we have our conversations about Roy Keynes and Rory McIlroy's and all. But it's the likes of Eric who've done more than any of us could imagine 
who kind of actually tell that story, I think, better, if as well, if not better than anybody else. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, that whole podcast is, is worth digging out. You'll get it on the OTB Daily feed, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, when we come back, Westmeath forward, Luke Lachlan talks to us about his 500 days of sobriety. Right, you're welcome back. A Talton Cup winner at Westmeath this summer, Luke Lachlan celebrated 500 days of sobriety. Uh, following 10 years of alcohol and drug addiction, he spent three months at the Coonwira Addiction Centre in 2021. He helped his club, the Downs, to reach the Leinster Club Senior Football Championship last weekend. Semi-final? Last Semi-final, weekend. Uh, I didn't actually realise that um, it's they're uh, just outside Mullingar team. Lomans are also Mullingar. Lomans have John Heslin, which, let's face it, is not fair at club level. Like, that's, you know, you're up against the Terminator at club level, basically. And they managed to stop him. Um, so it's a massive win for them. Uh, here he was talking to myself and Shane during the week about his decision to seek help. I think people just accept now that they're not drinking. It's just part of my life. And I do almost, I just love playing. And I think that's where, like, nobody would expect me. Like, even I'd say if I didn't even go to the celebrations, like, I'd say, no, be a girl because... The playing is my part. I, like, I, I don't feel like I'm missing anything. I, I'm going to be honest with you. In my lifetime, I've celebrated that county final a hundred times, you know, for no reason. Sometimes I feel like I'm missing out, but then I have to think about, right, look, if if I drink or whatever, like, you have to just think of where you'll end up or who you're going to hurt. Because for me, like, that's what always happens. Like, just always... Uh, always ends up bad like there's just no good outcome of it and I accept that and that's part of my life but then sometimes as well I can stay out maybe a bit too late just to be seen to be kind of involved and I actually just I just don't enjoy it so I just go home I'm like Houdini and just gone you know and that's that's a safe place for me is to know that I can always go home like it's different there in a different country like just say the Westfield holiday there the lads that went on it, uh, they obviously had a great time and they played great when they came back. But that's another part of me there. Like if I just start feeling comfortable somewhere, I just can't go home. Like I was in Mexico, <laughs> I can't just. Right. So I you didn't. Just, you, you, that was. No, I didn't go. No. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that that's wisdom, though, right? Like. Uh, uh, maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe. <laughs> I, I, it definitely is right like it, it's the bit where previously you would have put yourself in danger you would have experienced the danger and not been able yeah. to deal with it now you're like uh, that's a danger zone I'm just going to yeah, avoid it is. And it, it wasn't even that like there's obviously loads of ways you look at it but I no I didn't uh, I didn't mind any of the downs that's going they completely deserved it but I just felt me being captain or joint captain with Mark and a little older and I just felt I felt almost guilty going I was like, I just have such a great opportunity with the Downs here that I can go to Mexico anytime. And like this sort of stuff just doesn't come around too often. And I was thank God it paid off because I would have had a fairly sad head on me Monday morning now. <laughs> but, you know, everything happens for a reason. In my, I think anyway, and that was definitely a decision I think that I got right. You had that incredible year with, with Westmeath and the Talton Cup yeah, success yeah. as well, Luke, like, which was just incredible. And to see the scenes when you came back to Westmeath as well was, was really lovely. Um, you then made that decision, I guess, to, to, to bring people who weren't familiar with your story, this story, of just a few days yeah. after the, the match. Was yeah. there any thinking behind the timing of that? Or? Uh, no, actually, um, Sinead Hussey from RT had got in contact with me before that. And... Uh, she had wanted to do something. It, it, it just happened to be around the time of the Talented Cup. 
actually. And obviously, uh, it came at a great time. Um, because obviously, we won, it wouldn't have been the same if we'd lost one. Um, so I did the interview or whatever, and like the reaction I got from it was crazy. I couldn't believe it, like, you know, and to see the amount of people then that still get in contact with me that are going through some of the same stuff. And like a lot of people just, they kind of just coast through life and just get comfortable in the uncomfortable, you know, like they don't sort anything that's wrong. Like not saying everyone has to go to Kuwera for three months. <laughs> I wouldn't wish I'm my worst enemy at times, to be honest. But like, I think we just, um, we just, we're just so consumed with what other people think that we nearly just let our light problems lie type thing and just keep carrying on with life and don't sort things. But I was just so happy that I was, I felt like when I came out of Kumura, I kind of had this, like people were kind of looking at me different. They were looking at me different before I went in there, but they were definitely looking at me different when I came out. And um, now I kind of had this, like it's a weight off my shoulders and it's just part of my life. I just don't drink. I I obviously don't do drugs. I just live, try to live a healthy as life as possible. And thank God for football at times because, you know, there was times in my life and I didn't have it and there was times that I hated it. And even there, I was injured there for, after the Celtic Cup. I got injured for, I think, two and a half months and telling you, it's fairly low after that. You, know, you can't do anything. Like, you know, sometimes when lads get injured, they, they might, that's when they can start enjoying themselves a bit. I couldn't do anything. Like, not, you know, and that's where your head can get at you. So that's when you have good people around you, you get back to the things that, you know, work for you, meditation, trying to exercise, all this sort of stuff, you know. How old were you when you went to Coomera? I was 26. Okay, so it's recent, it's last year. Yeah, but it was actually, it was 500 days sober yesterday, actually. Wow, congratulations. Monday, Monday. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's great, yeah. When you put it into, into numbers, it's kind of cool, yeah. It's good for me anyway. Um, yeah, I was 26, so yeah, I went to Kumira in Italy. I was there for three months, and I'm going to be honest, I I actually had a great time there. And that might sound crazy, but I had no phone, no distractions. I was able to meet people that were in similar situations, and to be honest, people in a lot worse situations than me, and I was somewhat grateful for my life at that time, because there's some people that their livers had given up, their, you know, and I was heading that way, like there was no no doubt about who was getting to that stage and people with no family and, you know, it kind of, you nearly feel bad for having problems when you, when some people are coming out with the, with the problems that they have, you know. Can I just take you back to a bit before that, um, you, you yeah. talked about, you know, people don't don't get upset anymore when you leave, or you, you do the old Irish goodbye yeah, yeah, yeah. On, on nights yeah. out. Were you were you a public uh, drinker? Like, were you drinking oh, yeah. around, <laughs> yeah, yeah. like locally? So you would have been known as a drinker. No, definitely, yeah. Like, I would have been known as a headbanger. <laughs> That's right. Simple as that. Yeah. Like I could go out there on a Friday night. I might go home till Monday evening or Tuesday, you know. And like that's the, and I'd love to, you know the way sometimes people's lives that happens once in a blue moon or once I was doing that on the daily you know every not on the daily on the weekly every weekend and you know you can't live like that there's only so many chances people give you and I'm so lucky the amount of people that are trying to help me and I I was just so in denial of the problems that I had that I kind of pushed them away and 
I, I'm still lucky that a lot of people stood by me. A lot of people I pushed around in life that I might never get back. And that's something I have to live with because of the stuff I, I done and, and my actions. But I am very grateful for the people that are still in my life and that have done that do so much for me. Like I'm gonna be honest, until maybe recently, I was a glorified, like I was wrapped in bubble wrap, like, you know, I was an adult baby. You know, I was always someone looking after me. It always someone knowing where I was, and it's it's nice in a way, but you kind of just have to get on with your life. Like the novelty now, I say, of me being sober is just it's kind of over now, and it had been over the last while. But it just shows that people just care about you, and everyone has a few people that do care closely about them. And I'm lucky; I have I have so many people that look out for me. Like even before games, you know, like. People I might not have seen in years, you know, text me before every game, you know, it's the best luck and I'm delighted to see you're doing well, you know, it's nice. That's Luke Lachlan there at a very different stage of his career, 10 years younger than Eric Donovan. But I know what you're saying, Mick, it's like Eric's very unique. Luke is on his own path. Uh, you know, he called himself a headbanger around town and people would have known that. And here he is, you know, 500 days sober, looks fantastic telling his story in yeah. such a compelling and eloquent way it's it's fantastic for him and he's at like he's at the what we often would refer to as the peak of career 27 28 and he's achieving like you know Talton Cup uh, obviously this run in the club championship all at the same time he's he's achieving his sporting career the way it should be obviously on the back of like some horrific days and the ten years before, you know, so very, yeah, very good story. Um, he's a good hurler as well as footballer. And had to disappoint like even more now. Yeah, earlier this year, where Clonkill lost out the weekend before the Downs won the football championship right. against St. Lomans, there were some players who were hurling and football on yeah. both teams. So it was that kind of bizarre scenario with the way it worked out with the teams that got to the finals. And Luke has really kicked on. He's been excellent for the Downs, both in that final and also in their win last week against RD. So they take on Rathout in Crow Park on Saturday week, which is going to be a huge occasion for the Downs. Fifty years ago, they got to their first Leinster final, so they're trying to mirror that now, fifty years on, by getting to another one. So um, Luke has been central. To that and it also marked a bit of an anniversary when he played in the Talton Cup final this year so it was exactly one year to the day to the day he went in the door at Coon Vera to right. see treatment so that's incredible he yeah. said that was a very important landmark in his life as well so himself DB squaring up on the sideline yeah after DB was squaring up <laughs> DB's at it again <laughs> give a dog a bad name DB we know, we know you're innocent you're an awesome man to move on to something like a lot more frivolous but just something you said before the clip about it being more frivolous than DB well, well more frivolous than the, the story overall but uh, yeah not more not much more frivolous than DB uh, the, it's unfair to have John Hess at a club level at least they're a senior club can you imagine coming up against Garrod Hegarty in the Limerick Hurling Championship <laughs> at junior level or Clifford's junior like and yeah, I think I think David Clifford's a good example as well. And again, it's not just how good a player is; it's sometimes it's their physical oh, yeah. uh, presence as well. And you yeah. got like Heslin, Clifford, oh, well, Hegarty, Hegarty all do share that sort of like the, the like Hegarty is an Adonis almost <laughs> coming up against like junior level players. It's like borderline disgraceful. I've been off the ring for four days training for this. <laughs> I gotta get you, Garrod. It can be incredible to see some of these players when they play with freedom at club level, though. Like, I think in John Heston scored 216 in a game from play there. I remember Westmead semi final. I would well believe that. And, like, that was him just basically going out to play around the middle of the field. Didn't have to the discipline he plays at county where he has to kind of stick to centre forward or full forward. He just went out where the ball was and just ripped them to shreds. And I'm sure trying to take on Garrod Haggerty is exactly the same. 
Um, look, maybe centre back. I think he he stands. You know, but I think he can do a lot of damage from yeah. centre back both ways. I suppose. Yeah. The, maybe they're the the games that we'll end up watching in years to come to like just have those. <laughs> Seeing if Clifford could get ten ten from play in a game. That's, yeah. that's a <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, coming up on off the ball this weekend, Shane Hannan hosts tomorrow afternoon, where he'll have an interview with veteran sports photographer Ray McManus. And updates across the show from Ireland and Fiji in the rugby. Dan McDonnell and David Connolly are on football Saturday as the Premier League winds down ahead of the World Cup. Two live Premier League games for you on Sunday. You'll be able to listen to Brighton against Aston Villa and Fulham against Manchester United. Graham Gartland and Ashley O'Reilly will have updates, of course, from the FAI Cup final on Sunday for you as well. Shin Shin, Splunk is next. Sloan. 